New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Big thing on Total Soccer Show, the weekly show where we sink our teeth into the meatiest topics of the day. Today, we're focusing on the story that's dominated US soccer discussions since it came onto our radar via a Friday news dump last week. Major League Soccer's controversial decision to pull its first teams from US Open Cup. The decision has put a stress test on the USSF and its commitment to its constitution and its league sanctioning system and has caused a major fallout that has huge implications for the country's oldest cup competition and perhaps even for the soul of the sport in the USA. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, your friend and mine, Joseph Lowry. Hello, Joe. (gasps) Hello, Ryan. Ready to talk some US soccer. I can see you getting all excited. Always and forever. This is not the most exciting topic in terms of uh, bringing joy and bringing uh, a smile to my face. But we're doing it anyway, darn it. And there have been some positive developments recently. So I am thankful for that. Joe starts the episode with this is not the most exciting topic. (laughs) Way to go, Joe. Also joining us, Graham Ruffin. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan. I'm very excited to talk about uh, tennis. I don't get to talk about tennis on, on the show very often. I, I presume Ooh. that's what you, U.S. Open. No. That's what we're gonna gonna no, talk about. It's, the, about. Golf, it's right. the golf one, Graham. It's the golf one we're doing today. All right, I still watch that. Yeah, the football good. one, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should talk about that as a, one of our key points later on, Graham. Also joining us in this conversation, a guest star on Total Soccer Show, Jeff Ruta from the Athletic, joining <gasps> us today, who's been covering this story and much more in great detail. Good day to you, Jeff. Hey, it's it's nice to avoid the usual annual churn of his Die Hard a Christmas movie this year. Uh, so thank you, MLS and US Soccer, for forcing that completely out of my lexicon in the weekend. Taylor covered that yesterday, so yeah. we're, we're all good on that bingo card. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, can I ask, so you had the story out for The Athletic sort of right as this news right. dropped from MLS. It absolutely was a Friday news dump that they were going mm-hmm. to replace all of their MLS teams with their MLS Next Pro teams. Sorry, DC United, you don't get to win the US Open Cup. This is the news, or was the news as of Friday. Some things have changed since then. How how was your Friday, Jeff? Can you give us like a little play-by-play here? <laughs> like, what what were you doing? How angry were you? I guess you being more on Central Time helps a little bit with the Friday news dump. And, and you had seen bit. some stuff, and you've been on top of this story earlier on. What was your Friday like last week? Yeah, it was, um, it was supposed to be very chill and mundane. I, I think that I'd had a, a reservation at a cocktail room that I had to cancel. Um, (laughs) so, I mean, usually look like the, the Friday before, like, I know that this coming Friday will be the Friday before Christmas, but when Christmas falls on a weekend, every entity in sports treats the week before as the Friday before Christmas. So it was truly supposed to be just the most like mundane, nothing to do. You're just kind of sitting there. I'd kind of filed what I assumed was going to be my final article of 2023 already. And so I was, I was ready to check out and then. Lo and behold, um, not only am I the second most Western member of our American soccer staff at The Athletic these days, but I am also the one who used to cover the lower divisions primarily sure. instead of just as part of my coverage. So, uh, yeah, that's it's close to the bat signal flying up on a Friday afternoon as you can possibly get. <laughs> yeah. So cancel my date with Poison Ivy and here we are. Right. Jeff, your nothing to do mundane days are very different to mine if you have a booking at a cocktail room. That is not usually how my... Uh, my lazy Friday school. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, I hope you uh, issued a statement saying you were sending the development Jeff Rooter to the cocktail room uh, straight afterwards. <laughs> my my four-year-old, five-year-old nephew, Noah, who looks a lot like me. Yeah, that's Noah, next one. pro, baby. Let's go. Love it. Love it. That's right. All right. Joe, do you want to give us a lay of the land here for those who aren't called up? What exactly happened? Uh, where are we up to at this point? All right. So on Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time... Ryan, you're the only one of us here on Eastern Time. Graham was probably already asleep at this point, and Jeff and I were still awake, hoping to wind down our days. 
MLS announced that their teams would be represented by MLS Next Pro teams in the 2024 edition of the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. Uh, to translate some of that for folks that maybe aren't all the way down into what MLS Next Pro is, that's the relatively new reserve league that Major League Soccer has started. It is sanctioned as a third division league and is mostly just a farm part of the farm system for these MLS clubs. This idea of MLS teams essentially withdrawing and being represented by their inferior younger brothers was voted on and, and passed on or passed by, excuse me, owners at last Thursday's Board of Governors meeting. So owners said, yep, this is something we're interested in doing. And MLS then decided to drop the statement in a Friday news dump, which is absolutely an indication that they knew what they were going to do was going to be unpopular. I think there's a fascinating discussion to be had about if they knew it was going to be this unpopular. But MLS clearly knew that the response was going to be negative. And by trying to ditch the Open Cup, and U.S. soccer has come back, and this is the next leg of the story that maybe we'll get to in a minute. By trying to ditch the U.S. Open Cup, MLS made their intentions really clear about what they're here to do, about what they want and what they prioritize. And some of that is fair, and some of this was handled extremely un unwell. And there's some other elements here that I think are, are poor for Major League Soccer. They care about themselves. Like, MLS made this very, very clear. They care about themselves, and they're not above damaging the rest of the American soccer landscape en route to doing what they think will strengthen their own organization. And they absolutely took a big swing. And it seems like they've maybe missed on this, but there's still, it seems like, a few dominoes left to fall. Well, we'll see. Uh, maybe with time, we'll get the perspective on whether they missed on this one, Joe. We will see. Jeff, um, obviously, we've seen comments from Don Garber over the last few months, perhaps years, about US Open Cup, uh, some negativity around it from MLS. But how much did this blindside us, this announcement coming out? Did we see something this drastic coming? I think that... The not necessarily at the surface. I think it's more about the timing of it and not specifically the Friday afternoon, not specifically just before the holidays, just after major MLS cup, all of these sorts of like moments of the calendar where it doesn't make sense. I think it's more with the, this isn't a gradual plan we're proposing. This is like a hard breakup. And I think just the generally, when you look at major league soccer and how it makes its decisions, whether we're talking about roster rules or we're talking about the competitions it enters, they don't rush to make decisions. They they certainly don't put out decisions that haven't been vetted by too many committees of owners that haven't been going through market research to figure out which font they should put on the back of the 15 year old players jerseys, right? Like they're spending so much time on these decisions that usually there also is time on the other side of it where the league's cup didn't start as this big melee between every single team in major league soccer and Liga MX. It started as four, eight teams per league playing in sort of a summer series of friendlies, essentially, before they eventually onboarded it to be this whole thing, right? So the fact that it was not just we're looking to pull our first teams from the U.S. Open Cup, but we are looking to do it now. <laughs> and by the way, the reason that the, the league is framing the, the, the day that they announced it not just Friday, don't worry, it wasn't a Friday afternoon news dump, though, that this was the registration deadline. Never mind, we could have said it on Thursday or Wednesday, no, none of that. It's just that the registration deadline for the U.S. Open Cup was originally going to be on Friday the 15th of December, and I think it's been extended, it was extended to Monday with the original plan, and I'm sure it's going to be extended again. Basically, U.S. Soccer saying, look, MLS, we need you to register your teams for this tournament, why haven't you? Oh, this is why. Um, so I think that the, the timing the speed with which they wanted to go about this and the wholesale change that they were proposing was frankly pretty out of character for a lot of how MLS operates. Graham, I'm old enough to remember um, the FA Cup when Manchester United withdrew after they won the yeah. treble in 99 uh, to play in the Club World Cup. Didn't go great for them. Uh, wasn't a good decision after, after that. But there was a lot of controversy, but... It, may, it got me thinking about this and what MLS thought the best case scenario was for this. As Jeff says, they've, they've got a lot of uh, dollars behind the decisions they make. They obviously have thought maybe there'll be a little bit of uh, disruption, a little bit of a backlash over a couple of weeks. It blows over. People realize, OK, it's not the most popular competition in the world. With all due respect, we move on. Is that what they're thinking? It's, it's a bit cynical, but they're thinking there'll be a small storm here and we'll ride yeah. it out. I have to imagine that on some level, the backlash has surprised them. There's been real cut through with this story. So they probably anticipated that the hardcore fans and certainly USL fans would, there would be some pushback from, from them. But the level of coverage that this story has had, I'm obviously based in the UK and this was a story that made the front page of the BBC Sport website, which is, you know, the, the, the most visited sport website in, in, in the country. So yes, absolutely. There has been cut through. And I think 
there has been just a failure from from MLS to kind of recognize why fans would be angered by this. One of the big factors for me and for everyone that has discussed this and has been affected by it is League's Cup. So MLS has put out this reason that fixture congestion is is, is an explanation why they're pulling out their teams out of US Open Cup. And this is a league that created the League's Cup this year and carved out an entire month for, for for it in the summer and also expanded the playoffs to create more matches there. So if MLS was truly concerned with the fixture schedule, it surely wouldn't have done those things. To me, it just seems like this is a decision based on two things, if I'm reading between the lines. Control. So this is a competition that MLS doesn't doesn't have control over, the US Open Cup. Obviously, it's not in a broadcast sense. It's not a part of the Apple TV deal. I spoke about this on Monday when we, we touched upon this story on the Weekend Review. It kind of feels kind of vindictive to me in that MLS saw all those eyes in the US Open Cup in the summer on Messi playing front of Miami on that run to the final and sort of thought, we don't really want our big name signing, our marquee player, our billboard player to be in a competition that we don't own and isn't on the MLS season pass subscription. And so that it feels kind of vindictive that they've said, right, well, we're going to take Messi away from this from this competition. So, yeah, I think MLS has been pretty open in its disdain for the US Open Cup as, as a whole. Obviously, there was the, the quotes from Garber in the summer where he said it, it, the competition is a very poor reflection on what we're trying to do with soccer at the highest level. I remember we spoke about that on the show. That was quite a quite a stark comment. But even still, this this measure is quite extreme. Yeah, and Graham, I think you're you're right to point out control there as being a huge part of this. MLS, and they've stated this, right? It, it makes uh, it sort of uh, it makes all their fans and consumers feel stupid when they put out some of these statements and the way that they've phrased things like, you know, well, we wanted to enter our MLS Next Pro teams into US Open Cup to help with player development. Like, well, you can do that in other ways that doesn't involve pulling your teams out. Like, you You can also... play the players (laughs) in your MLS team in the actual competition. That would help. The problem with that, and and I think the reason why that, that didn't end up getting passed or didn't end up getting moved forward is because that doesn't actually free up any match days, right? That doesn't... MLS wants more control, not just over the all the competitions that they're in, but over the calendar, right? They don't want to have to go put their first team coaching staff and, you know, four first team players in a squad of 20 or 18 to a Wednesday night in July, like, or July is a bad example, but whenever, whenever these US Open Cup match days are going to be, they want complete control. Like that wasn't enough for them. And I think all of these things are, are probably mistakes in the grand scheme of things, but MLS wanted more than that. And they also wanted more than the piece of the pie that they were getting from the U.S. Open Cup in the modern era. So in 2021, and Jeff, I think you and Paul and Pablo and you know whoever else over on, on your side has been working on some of this stuff, like had the, the piece out and there was a reference in there to Soccer United Marketing. So back in, in 2021, U.S. Soccer ended at what was a 20-year partnership with Soccer United Marketing. Now, Joe, what is Soccer United Marketing? Well, I'm so glad you asked. That is the commercial arm of Major League Soccer that is owned by MLS team owners. And when that relationship ended in 2021, U.S. Soccer then brought their commercial rights in-house. All of a sudden, they're the one controlling a lot of the branding and the marketing and the money around their assets. And one of those assets is the U.S. Open Cup. It's not run by Major League Soccer. It is operated by U.S. Soccer. And so when U.S. Soccer brings those commercial rights in-house, all of a sudden, MLS's piece of the pie gets smaller. And it starts to get smaller. And U.S. Soccer collects half of every gate, every every ticket revenue. That's right, Jeff, isn't it? Fifty percent of every yeah, up up to half. half. There's like a certain threreshold that a team that a a sale has to hit to ensure that teams aren't completely left out to dry. But once it exceeds that, yeah, it can go up to half for like the semifinal and final. Yeah, Yeah, right. So go go check out all the work that that Jeff's done on this story because it is really. really (laughs) I'm bored. I don't want to listen to Jeff describe (laughs) it. Just read it. Just no. But like this, this is all telling as far as MLS's role in this particular competition, which is already something that struggles for mainstream relevance, it's something that continues to shrink their role in a a thing that takes away from other things that they want to do, like League's Cup that they instituted to take up the fixture congestion that they need to solve problems and reverse engineer a way to make that actually make sense so Steve Torondolo can stop complaining, right? Like, it's, it's all of these things, and MLS just wants more and more and more, and ultimately, when you go and continue to want more and more and more, you take away from the rest of the parts of the American soccer landscape, which is bad for a lot of soccer fans in the United States. And you sever the only open part of American soccer, which is something that makes soccer unique. It's not a part of American sports. MLS has been trying to juggle both of these things. They've done a 
I guess it depends on your perspective, whether they've done a good job or a bad job. It's all subjective. But they've, they've had some balance with at least the Open Cup existing and being open by definition, having amateur teams, having professional teams across different levels. And MLS doesn't want to be open anymore. They don't want to be a part of that history. They want to rewrite what history is going to be for soccer in the United States. And that is going to involve change. Whether or not we'll see that now is a different story. Joe, how important, could you just give us a pricey on how important that is to preserve having an open cup and its meaning within the U.S. soccer landscape? Certainly for lower division teams, it's it's super important. Like, I, I don't know exactly how much money a Phoenix Rising in the USL Championship is bringing in from their gate fees for an average USL Championship game. I, I would have to imagine that lower division teams who get an MLS team some point in the U.S. Open Cup are getting a significant boost there in some of those moments. Like, it is... It is bad from a narrative perspective, right, for us to get to talk about Sharktopus FC maybe making a U.S. Open Cup run with the possibility <laughs> of playing the Seattle Sounders is awesome. And, like, that is the reason why I want this tournament to become more than it is, right? And, and before, yeah, Ryan's pulling out his phone now. Googling Look it up. One. There's yeah, multiple Love is Blind Joe's contestants there. from a few months ago. Yeah, Ryan's not a backyield reader. He's exposing himself. It's fine. Um, but, but, like, that's why we love the U.S. Open Cup. It's, it's the narrative juice that we like. And it's also the, the lower division lifeblood is, is way too strong, but it adds value to yeah. lower division teams and they will lose something by this not existing anymore. And I think, and maybe we'll circle back to this. I think that MLS made a short sighted decision to leave the US Open Cup when there are so many obvious improvements that can be made to make this a bigger pie. And even MLS with a smaller piece of that pie could, and this is a hard emphasis on could, if the right decisions are made, could benefit from having that smaller piece in a long-term sense. Yeah. The US Open Cup is the only route for mobility that exists in American soccer because, of course, stating the obvious, MLS doesn't have any promotion or relegation. There's no promotion or relegation yet, anyway, between uh, the, the tiers of the pyramid. And so this is the, the only shot that you get at an upset against one of the big boys of American soccer. I also think... In an even more tangible way, the US Open Cup plays a role in building teams and clubs and franchises up. I look at FC Cincinnati. Before they come in to MLS, it's their games in the US Open Cup that really puts them on the expansion map. And I think Orlando City had a kind of similar experience before they come into MLS. So, yes, there isn't promotion in MLS, but there is expansion and US Open Cup can play a role in putting clubs into position to make that step up. And if you don't, if you if you change the fabric of that competition, you change the fabric of mobility in American soccer. All right, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we will get into the statements that have been issued by various bodies, and also we'll get into the opinions and the feelings of the stakeholders, the players, the teams who will be affected by this decision. Back shortly. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one... It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker dealer. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Jeff, let's dig into some of the stakeholders uh, who will be affected by this decision. Maybe we'll start off with some of the lower division teams. How? how we, we've, we've got a statement from USL on this situation. How do we think, say, USL teams will be affected by this? Obviously, uh, if they have to continue without MLS first teams in the competition, it's going to affect their gates, we would think, for as a, as a small example. And, you know, there's, there's some power plays that USL could do here, potentially, uh, of their own to maybe affect the situation possibly yeah it's um it runs the gamut it really does because on the one side it undoubtedly hurts one of the hallmarks of the usl schedule which is the ability for its third and second division teams and its fourth division teams in usl league two to host mls teams and have that level playing field for that potential to end up uh, as a team that makes a late run into the U.S. Open Cup, which is frankly one of the easiest ways to get an individual team national recognition beyond the usual websites like Backfield that are going to be covering the USL throughout the entire year. Your fiver's in the right? mail, Jeff. Don't worry. It's coming. <laughs> I'm a subscriber. It's all good. I'm not scared of paywalls, baby. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's... Um, yep. It's uh, That is something that is absolutely crucial to them. Though, because when you think about the times where, um, now that I don't cover the USL all the way around like I used to, right? One of the times that I actually do drop in, okay, well, the Open Cup is usually a pretty good clue that there's going to be a good story about Sacramento Republic. Oh, yeah, by the way, Ron Burkle divesting like 18 months before that, that thing wrote itself, right? But when you look beyond that, you go to St. Louis FC with the MLS franchise potential that was lurking in 2019 when they had their run. New Mexico United being a brand new team in 2019 when they made a run to the quarterfinal as well. These are easy ways to get their teams out in front of a broader audience than they are used to. Um, the flip side of it, though, if you're looking for the most positive thing that could have come purely from its team's perspective... This is the easiest route into the CONCACAF Champions Cup that they could have ever hoped for, <laughs> frankly, because they now control, I, I mean, like, yes, nominally and factually, they would have been the biggest team left in this competition, or league left in this competition with the USL Championship. But you would also argue that they had the second most stable league in the competition with League One, which has a higher quality of player in it across the span of its rosters with more veteran experience in these sort of knockout competitions than you would find in MLS Next Pro if these teams were the ones that had made the wholesale change in. And you would frankly argue most of NISA, just given some of the operational difficulties that the teams in that league continually face on a month-to-month basis. So it would have been a very easy route and avenue to get them into international play, which would have been great. But I think that if I look at... You know, if I really examine those statements, which is a very sad part of my job, close readings of statements from from entities (laughs) and stakeholders in the landscape, it is not my favorite part of this job. But if you look at how the USL is framing a lot of these statements and a lot of the timing of when Paul McDonough is dropping these statements in response to things not concurrent with U.S. Soccer and MLS, which have been releasing their statements about the matter in lockstep, both on Friday and again on Wednesday... They feel left out. If you look at the the U.S. Open Cup, 75% of games last year, roughly 74-75% of games last year, involved a USL club. Less than 50% of games in the 2023 Open Cup involved MLS clubs. So when you look at, okay, who actually does the most to participate in the tournament, who has the biggest footprint in this tournament, it isn't Major League Soccer. But Major League Soccer is undoubtedly the headliner. It's like that whole thing where it's like if you can't, if you tally the amount of time that Darth Vader is on the screen in um, one of the, in the entire first trilogy of Star Wars, it is not much time. But he feels like the most important character, right? Sure. It's kind of that same sort of thing. And um, it, the, the the presence speaks magnitudes, but it isn't actually factually the person that you're seeing the most. They aren't the most involved in the U.S. Open Cup, and so I think that for them, they felt hard done that this would be a decision that was made without their presence at the table um, and something that had an outsized impact on them and their sustainability, um, even if they weren't the one that was making this decision. Jeff, you mentioned the the Champions League spot. I was waiting for you to be like, Jeff, you mentioned Darth Vader. Are you... Well, Ryan has famously just watched all the Star Wars films fairly recently, so he knows knows that that reference reference. now. Yeah, Yeah, he gets that reference Look at that. <laughs> um, the, the, the CONCAF Champions League or Champions Cup, whatever it's called now, um, I don't know if I've just missed this in your reporting or any of the reporting that is out there. What, what's, what's, the, what's MLS's plan for 
like that i once moved out of a of an apartment right i had to clear out very very quickly it was in a dispute with my landlord i had to get out of that flat it was a friday and i accidentally left behind a microwave and i was really really annoyed about leaving behind that microwave um my flatmate as well was very annoyed about that <laughs> um has mls left behind the microwave and and forgetting that this competition comes with uh champions cup qualifications I, I would or think- do they just not care I would think partially, but I think that also when you look at the newly formatted, I don't remember exactly how many slots go to what specific distinction, but MLS and Liga MX do have like an outsized advantage where I think they can look and say, okay, one less, and maybe we'll end up getting one of our reserve team, our developmental teams to sneak in and we can have this weird like quasi RB Leipzig, RB Salzburg situation where we have. So that would happen, right? So if, so if, you know, MLS, um, so could you have like the next pro team of, you know, whoever LAFC or or Sound Sounders in the Champions Cup, along with the parent club, like how it, how does that look? This is yeah, that's something that uh, I would have loved to have heard Concacaf's uncharted waters, right? Like truly, you just don't have Barca B storming through Copa del Rey to an extent where you're like, all right, maybe they're going to make it into the Europa League <laughs> in an off year for FC Barcelona. We haven't seen that, so there wouldn't have been a, really a precedent that they could have even taken clues from from other confederations across the world. Um, it would have been fascinating. I think it would have actually been just like one of the most sicko friendly courtroom dramas <laughs> in recent <laughs> soccer history. Could a developmental team qualify for continental play? But I don't think we'll find out. I just love that last week we did the big thing on Girona and sort of their their turnaround in City Football Group. And maybe they could be in the Champions League along Man City, alongside Man City, which will ask questions. And somehow, on this show, talking about the U.S. Open Cup, we've gotten to Seattle Sounders 2 taking on the right. Seattle Sounders in the CONCACAF Champions Cup. Guys, I think we've, we've done it. I'm in awe of our ability to tie things together. Wonderful stuff. Great American America. melting pot. <laughs> <laughs> From where I'm sitting, Graham, I think MLS left behind the microwave, but they're like, we've got an air fryer. So what? Yeah, <laughs> This is better. <laughs> That's what they, I think yeah, that's some fair. leagues have a microwave and an air fryer, so that's what they <laughs> aspire to. Graham, um, what obviously we know we've had a bit of insight about lower division and the impact here. What if? How do you feel about this if you're an MLS team or even if you're an MLS player? Do we? Do you think you're disappointed or you're just thinking of the bottom line here? Um, having spoken to players all the way through my you know kind of reporting career, I think a lot of them will be disappointed because this is a opportunity to win a trophy. I mean, you you look at the the last year's final between Houston and Inter Miami, and of course, Messi mania turned that game into something a little bit unusual for for U.S. Open Cup. But you you look at uh, Hector Herrera and the scenes of celebration from the Dynamo, like they cared about winning that that competition, and I think Houston Dynamo as a club cared about winning that competition. So. It's it's one of these things in soccer and depressingly, uh, particularly in a week where the Super League story has reared its ugly head, the sporting and financial side of things are in direct uh, competition with each other. So even though the owners of these teams are um, seemingly and apparently quite happy to ditch the US Open Cup on the football side of things, yeah, I think there will be some, some disappointing in those, uh, even in the front offices, to be honest, uh, and certainly in dressing rooms. Yeah, I'll... I'll, I'll add to that. I bet it's fairly mixed. I, I think there absolutely will be people that are disappointed. And we had Sasha Kleschen, former MLS MLS legend, really, currently doing work for Major League Soccer via Apple, uh, tweeted something about like how he loved playing in the Open Cup and was really sad about this. And then, lo and behold, there was a quote tweet um, very quickly after that with a slightly different message. Um, I, I think there are lots of players that do like playing in the U.S. Open Cup, especially when their team has a chance to win it. I, I don't Obviously, I'm just guessing. I don't know if it's the majority at the beginning. I'm not saying you're saying that either, Graham, right? I'm guessing you get a whole broad spectrum across the league. What I don't have a great grasp of, and Jeff, I'm curious about your perspective on this, is like what role, if any, the players and the Players Association in particular, so Bob Foos is the president of the MLSPA, like what role they played in all this? Because I have a hard time believing that these things don't move forward without some sort of okay from the PA. Is Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, and it's it's a matter of us still trying to figure out just how involved the PA was in recent months with moving this decision along. Because I did an interview with Bob Foos back in, I want to say it was June, when they released the first salary numbers the, the back in our final pre-Messi moment of Major League Soccer. And 
we were talking about the salary numbers. It was also like the 20th anniversary of the PA. So we were doing this, this broad interview. It was right after Don Garber's comments in the May Boar meeting um, with U.S. Soccer, where he had said it's not a reflection of what we want soccer in America to be. Um, something along those lines, paraphrasing. And his response was, uh, quote, players do not looking, look forward to playing in the U.S. Open Cup. I assure you that. And, and it was just this wholesale, just kind of like, look, there are so many games that are on right now. The, the prize money on offer for the League's yeah. Cup it has to be said way better, right? Like it's, it's kind of like a live golf versus PGA tour sort of conversation where it's just like, okay, if you are a player involved, you have a finite window of being able to perform this specific job that you've been training for your entire life at as high a level as you can to make as much money as you can to set yourself up for success as best as you can. Right. And if you can enter play a similar number of games and make, I don't know, 10, 15 times as much money for it, you got to get your bread where you can find it, right? And so you kind of understand a lot of where heads get turned when these sorts of discussions come up. That Yes, there will be the Houston Dynamos, there will be the Hector Herreras and the Ben Olsons, who are two different approaches of being a sicko who just wants to win trophies in any competition if it's on offer, right? But whether you're a domestic, like a diehard wonk who grew up with this, you went to these games and... Um, you want to play in this tournament as well, or you're someone who's coming from another league where the, the domestic cup maybe has a bigger footprint in the landscape, like the FA Cup or the Copa del Rey. Um, you maybe buy into this a little bit more. It's kind of that mid-tier, almost like, I, I don't want to like give a, a specific profile, but like ultimately the Players Association would have had to been consulted on this to make sure that they wouldn't have faced back. Again, Major League Soccer goes through all these steps to ensure that they're going to get as little public backlash as possible with a lot of these decisions, you would have to think the Players Association at least said, yeah, we won't stand in your way if this is how you want it to go. Joe, obviously we've seen some fairly uniform backlash to this decision uh, in, in the week or so since it's uh, been announced. To, to play devil's advocate on the other side of things, there are certain voices who have been uh, couching this one in, in some positivity. What, what would you say about the folks who say worse to the effect of, you know, uh, you won't miss it that much if you liked it. If you liked US Open Cup so much, why didn't you support it? Um, you know, why? Why? Why has it had so little support? It's like when a candy why bar, it... a chocolate bar gets discontinued, and everyone right. gets very upset about it. And you yeah. think, maybe you well, should have bought it. Not... Yeah, maybe you should have bought it. They went to discontinue it. And to be honest, that was one of my first reactions to this. Is there was a ton of vitriol and, and a ton of concern on on social media after this happens. But like, you go through and you you put together a story on the US Open Cup, and yes, it's an obvious thing to talk about in, in certain moments. But like people just don't read it in my experience. And, and there's like there's there's not a total complete interest bubble around this tournament to the point where like I that I, I was sort of one of my first responses of thinking, well, if everybody's so angry about this, like why were we not working towards positive change before? And I'm not trying to put blame on the consumer, by the way, because it, this is ultimately not their decision. This falls on the people who are having much more money than the, than the consumers and the decisions that they want to make. Ultimately, that is where the buck stops. But like, it, it's a little frustrating to me as someone who really does love this competition and want to see it continue and want to see it get better that like we just haven't seen a lot of that. And ultimately, that, that responsibility falls on U.S. soccer for continuing to make this into a product that is compelling and interesting and demands to be talked about in a way that it's, it's just not right now. So I think there is some fairness there without trying to shift the blame all the way onto the consumer because ultimately it, it's not their fault. Yeah, it's not their fault. Uh, I would also say, though, it only recently became fully U.S. soccer's right. thing Very true. To, to really incubate because of that some relationship that you talked about at the top. It was Major League Soccer's until the pandemic, essentially, yeah. for 20 years from when the Rochester Rage and Rhinos won to be the final non-MLS team to win the Open Cup to date in 1999 until 2019 when Soccer United Marketing, or 2021, but 2019 was the last iteration of the tournament before the two-year hiatus because of the coronavirus, right? Where you have uh, the league being as invested in the tournament success as possible, and then all of a sudden, some dissolves. You have two years of it being a U.S. soccer-only run thing, we got to call it out. The broadcast situation around this tournament was horrific the last two years. Up until we got to the round of 16 this year in 2023, MLS teams were involved. It became pretty clear that Lionel Messi was going to be playing at least in the quarterfinal. Um, I think it was against Burning Birmingham Legion, or maybe that was the round beforehand, where it was like, okay, maybe we should put this thing 
on streaming <laughs> beyond just having it on the Bleacher Report app and um, their YouTube channel, which was their approach to only show about five or ten games every single round on an app that I'll just say I don't have it. It's I don't know app. how many it's people have it. It is a fine app. Okay, good. <laughs> said, the, good. said the former Bleacher Report contractor Ryan Bailey. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not afraid of a paywall. I'm afraid of another app on my phone. There you go. That is my my my, my clear. So you draw the line. There. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. We have to draw them somewhere. But I think you know it, it's not one that soccer fans are regularly checking to watch soccer games. How about that? It is not part of our consumption habits to check ESPN Plus, what's on? Okay, got it. Yeah. Paramount Plus, got it, right? You're kind of used to going through your like absent-minded routines until you're like, oh yeah, right, FOTMOP does tell me. Another app, here we go. Uh, another. This one tells me what games are on television. So all of this to say, yeah, from the top down, it wasn't packaged in a way, it wasn't put forth in a way where it was easy to access and by the way, there's just a lot of soccer these days, isn't there? Like, we just got news about how the new Club World Cup is going to look once it starts in 2025. That completely got buried on Monday because of everything else going on. We're talking about a Super League again. We're talking about the League's Cup. We're talking about another possible trophy, um, I believe, in Mexico. So it's just like all of these different things where it's just like, okay, how, how much can you really put forth on a Wednesday in April? So... Uh, you know, I I see where some of the backlash goes to you weren't going anyway, but I think, and maybe this comes back later in the podcast uh, so other people can talk, but I think it actually gets to something that has way less to do about like watching specific Open Cup games and how your favorite local team could do and more just about what is being quietly whispered behind the shouts of why do you want to leave the U.S. Open Cup? And I think it just goes way much more to the heart of why a lot of people like the sport and what they're worried the sport is becoming and will no longer be if decisions like trading the U.S. Open Cup, all of you are nodding. I think I can keep talking. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, it's not a discussion about the U.S. Open Cup. We're having it. It's the example. These are the little Legos that we're playing with on the table. We're talking about good, not good versus evil, but like when you're playing Legos, you're you're pretending it's something else, right? It's an embodiment of something else that you're working through, right? And fans were not happy. I don't know if you heard the last time they tried the European Super League. People were upset. <laughs> Graham loved it. Graham said on this show how much he loved it. I don't know what that's about. I remember so that, weird. actually. Yeah. Yeah, these are vicious lies. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> they are. Um, but they're fun. Uh, <laughs> people don't like the idea that this thing that they grew up loving the stories of waiting for every Leicester city that they could find, waiting for stories of Luton Town and Bournemouth and now Wrexham going through their attempt to go from the fourth division or lower in the English pyramid all the way up to the Premier League, right? Um, in hopes of getting a 1-1 draw away at Crystal Palace, which is every soccer team's dream. Um, <laughs> it's it's this, this sort of romanticism that we have where it's like we have these old tournaments that predate us. We might not know all of the key players who had won in the past. We might not recognize the coach, but it gives us something to study up on. It gives us something to look at, something that we can really immerse ourselves into because there is this like rich history that is rooted in local social clubs. And if all of a sudden all of that is stripped away so that this can be purely a profit generating yeah. entity, we all feel a, our skin starts to crawl. It gets a little gross if you're saying, okay, well, the trade-off of us getting this new, shiny, admittedly very fun four-week summer tournament is that we lose the thing where we get to hear about Christos FC, the Florida soccer soldiers, and one of their players earning a contract with a second division club on the back of a cup run to the third or fourth round. Um, these, these sorts of stories where you're just like, this is something that we like, <laughs> and this is something that helps ground it in humanity to a greater extent than other sports. I don't have that same relationship with Major League Baseball, but I grew up watching the Twins, right? And you can't replace that. You can't or like synthetically recreate that. And I think that that is ultimately what a lot of people, what a lot of the backlash was about, was, okay, we are losing that sort of grasp of humanity on what the sport is, how it operates, and especially in this country where it is so closed at other areas, this is closing the final window to what it is like to have an open system yeah i think we can all agree that as a product the u.s open cup in recent years well i would in my opinion it hasn't been a good product for, for for a long time but the core idea 
is something worth preserving, which is what you're you're getting at there, Jeff. What I would mention is, and I think this is maybe the next part of the discussion, so apologies if I'm jumping ahead, but this story is not happening in, happening in isolation. It's, it's not only happening in American soccer. It's not only happening in MLS. Every single season around the world, particularly in um, some of the big European um, football nations like England and, and France, who recently got rid of their, their League Cup, there is discussion about the place that domestic cup competitions have, the magic of the cup. Is it still there? Does it still exist? It feels like the elite level teams are maybe not prioritising them in the same way. When people grew up in the 70s and 80s in England, the FA Cup was the biggest competition. I don't think anyone, even fans of the FA Cup, would argue that it's still the biggest competition in English football. That's the Premier League. So this is a discussion that reflects something that is happening throughout world football at the moment. So it's almost, Graham, like... Um, I, I thought I, I was think, thinking I was being hyperbolic at the start when I said the soul of the sport might be at risk, but it, there is an argument for that when you look at the greater picture, isn't it? There's a greater feeling that maybe the veneer is being scratched away at this game, that it's becoming more and more of a product at the top level. Uh, you know, um, the, the powers that be wanting to make games shorter. It feels yeah. like you know fans are supporting players and wanting to watch five minute TikTok videos of them, yeah. and it's 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 getting the soul is slowly being ebbed away with decisions like this it, it it seems that way and this is where the discussion can get a little bit a little bit syrupy but that like that is that is unavoidable you know i go to sterling albion games every weekend not because i'm like i need to give sterling albion my money so that their spread their balance is a little bit healthier at the end of the season i'm going to watch those games in the hope that we're going to win this game, we're going to win the title, we're going to go up a division, you know, that possibly we end up in the Scottish Premiership. That is not going to happen, by the way. But that, if, if I'm boiling it down, that is the ultimate hope, is that we can be the best team possible, the best club possible. And you need vehicles to achieve that. And then, as we've already covered in American soccer, they, they in, in MLS anyway, they don't have, um, you know, the promotion relegation system that everywhere, everywhere else has. So the US Open Cup is so important to preserving that lifeblood of the sport. And that is what MLS's decision attacks and in, in, in my opinion anyway yeah right. and you know you you rightfully call it syrupy you know just at a surface it feels a little weird to admit that i like this little warm and cozy thing whatever but it's like this it's this weird like joss whedon avengers zeitgeist creating thing over the last decade where you can't admit you genuinely like something without admitting or being too self-aware about the fact that you like it and saying oh that just happened or whatever right like that's kind of just how we work as a society these days it's okay to really like the idea of those things because it's easier to imagine yourself in that position. It's easier to relate to the stories of the person who works at a liquor store in the day and is also just kicking a ball in the evening, right? It's okay to like that. You don't have to apologize for that. There was I I weirdly got caught in the backlash to the backlash last night on Twitter with like this this former newspaper writer who was saying that people don't even like the US Open Cup. People like the idea of the Open Cup as if that was like some ridiculous like concept that how dare you like the idea how dare you romanticize the concept of something it's like that's fine you can like that like if that is your in the whole like i want to see the potential for like an amateur team to play an mls team at this little 2000 seat park good like that that's fine there's nothing like inherently wrong with that so so like it, again it's this weird sort of like you need to be looking for what's hip what's cool what's the new big thing what's the thing that you can package and show off to your friends who don't like soccer and say see how cool this is see what you're missing out on nah you can also like the dinky little first round games to their perspective if they only follow you know soccer off these shores um you can like that. You don't have to apologize for that. And, and and I don't think that it needs to be this sort of thing where it's like, okay, well, then you you only like the idea of it. It, it so got under my skin. I'm not a reply person anymore, like, ever. I broke my cadence <laughs> for, like, six a six-month break I'd had to being like, what are you talking about in the replies of someone on Twitter? I did it last night. I felt kind of bad about it. I haven't. I won't delete it, but... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. You don't you don't have to be self-aware and be like, yeah, it's crap, but it's my crap. Like you can just enjoy the idea of it for what it is. And that's good enough. Yeah. US Open Cup turned you into a, a reply guy. That's the biggest consequence of this. this I whole, know. Uh, that, <laughs> that is rock bottom. <laughs> there you go. It's all right to like an idea. America was built on an idea, etc. And so on. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dig into the uh apparently evolving chess game between US soccer and MLS. We're going to see what happens next and what the future holds for this contest back shortly. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Shopify, who would like to remind you that not everyone can be Erling Holland or Harry Kane. I would say only Erling Holland and Harry Kane can be Erling Holland and Harry Kane. But more to the point, not everyone can score the number of goals that those two score. Not everyone can set the goal scoring record. Sometimes you've got to be the teammates. Sometimes you've got to be the assists uh, person. You've got to be Kieran Trippier or Kevin DeBarna. You've got to spread the ball around. You've got to help facilitate that attacking play and those goals to help get the results you want. Because you need that perfect teammate. And when you need a perfect teammate when it comes to growing your business, Shopify has you covered. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. That feels like a good stage to be at. Shopify is there to help you grow along the way. How do they do that? Well, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So you don't have somebody kind of following you around the online store just saying, can I help you, can I help you, can I help you? Nobody needs that in real life or online, but Shopify's AI gets the job done. And that is a very unique aspect of Shopify that no matter how big your business is, and that's something I really appreciate, you can be a, a podcast just starting up, a podcast that's been here for a while, or a business that actually makes money. Either way, uh, Shopify is going to help you because that's what they are all about. Sign up for just $1 per month uh, trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Uh, one more time, go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the, 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 uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Graham, we've had a few statements come out in the last few days. We have one from uh, the USSF um, essentially declining MLS's request to have its uh, next pro teams participate in the US Open Cup, which left me thinking, okay, so who, who's who's holding the power here? Where do we go from this point? Like, what's the, what's the, is it is like, are we going to have be trading statements for a few weeks? Yeah, how, M- how we... MLS is just going to send an email next week that says, Please, <laughs> and it's just going to keep going back and forth like that. But there's, yeah, there's, I mean, there's various uh, threats, Graham, isn't it? Like the US soccer, or they could take away the Division One sanction sanctioning, for example. There's there are various threats that could be placed on either side. It's it's difficult to know, I suppose, who has the power and who's going to break here, isn't it? Well, I, I mentioned that on 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 Monday's show. That is, um, in terms of where the story goes next, is the really interesting thing for me. Is we are going to find out where the power lies in the American soccer landscape, because obviously the federation, of course, have that san- sh- sanctioning power. But MLS, um, I think it would be foolish to pretend otherwise. They also have a lot of power in this in this sphere. Um, at the moment, it feels like U.S. soccer is emboldened to kind of flex its uh, political muscle. The statement was was pretty sharp. Um, I do have questions over 
whether MLS, and maybe, I, I don't know if Jeff has any reporting on this, but whether they were surprised by that pushback by the Federation. I did read in, I'm not sure if it was one of your reports, Jeff, or, or Jeff or someone else's, but that um, MLS had been speaking with the... It was on the Beach Report app, actually. It was one of these apps. Um... It, they had been in discussions with the Federation for a number of months over their US Open plans. Um, so I, I don't know whether that has been part of the surprising aspect for MLS has been not just the backlash, but how US Soccer and the Federation has kind of sided with the fans on this pretty sharply. Yeah, I, I think, you know, to go back to a point that I had in segment one, MLS doesn't make these decisions rashly they will they will inform their decisions as best as they can before they announce their decisions even if it seems trivial or major doesn't matter what it is and so one of the things that they cited is that they'd been in discussions along these lines is how it's framed with u.s soccer dating back to august july or august and they were having these conversations with jt batson with other stakeholders in u.s soccer in the federation specifically to say, hey, we're not happy with this. Our players, boy, they sure are tired. Don't know how all these extra games cropped up like weeds in my garden. I have no idea. It's crazy, right? So how about we swap them out for our developmental teams because those players do also need a higher level of competition that they are not finding in MLS Next Pro by design. So what if we do this sort of one-in, one-out competition like for like switch if you will except for dc united and the canadian teams who still have to play in their domestic cup but hey whatever it's canada and major league soccer their own fans will admit that they're always overlooked by these decisions not that it's a good thing it just always happens like this so they proposed this because they felt good enough about those conversations that they had been having for a quarter or a third of the year and so i would imagine that then they were surprised by the fact that this wouldn't be a thumbs up Pretty much on arrival, I would argue. Um, the, the fact that U.S. Soccer made clear in their statement, we weren't expecting this move now, shows that there were some either genuine gaps in communication in terms of understanding the topic that you're discussing, or there was a sort of, oh, you meant now <laughs> about this, where we, don't have, where we, the Federation, don't have any sort of of say in how we go about making this change. Maybe there was a, a case where you could say, for two years, teams can opt to field however the bulk of your roster in the competition has to be the roster that is registered for that specific league. So if you want to put your next pro team in, okay, you can't suddenly bring Lionel Messi in off the bench in the semifinal for Inter-Miami 2. You have to make that choice ultimately, or is it Inter-Miami or Inter-Miami 2? And yes, that is the most important case that you could bring up right now, mm -hmm. given the players that you would be trying to arrest and the players you would try to bring in to win a trophy. So I think that they assumed there was more time. Four or five months in U.S. soccer uh, decision-making is a blink. <laughs> they do again this is not a federation like the domestic league that tops its pyramid that likes to rush to reaction they they like having 14 month coaching searches to give a guy a second contract right like they um they do not do this quickly and so i think that there was also just the rate of change that was difficult for them to accept and was also probably part of why yeah it was met with some contention on the front end just if you're looking at statements that were issued yeah Joe, do you think U.S. soccer could have gone harder with their statement? Possibly. I mean, the, the, in the Constitution, um, a condition Take of being away the sanctioned... league's cup. Do it. Take it away. <laughs> Confiscate it. <laughs> you can't add that. No, not for you. You've got to be in U.S. Open Cup. But to be sanctioned as a Division One league by USSF, a condition is to play in this contest. So you know they have the the Constitution on their side, if you will. Do you think they could have gone a bit harder and threatened a bit harder? It does. It does suggest to me that they didn't. That they know where the power may lay. Yeah, a little bit, right? I think there's certainly some nuance to the statement. In that in that statement that U.S. Soccer released on Wednesday, they didn't technically say, like, MLS teams have to participate in this competition. They didn't expressly lay it out. But they did say, like, yeah, your next pro teams can't play in this competition, which sort of then allows you to reverse engineer what they're thinking. I, I, I would be shocked if this statement wasn't carefully put together by lawyers and other folks that are trying to word things very carefully because this is a difficult situation. Like, U.S. soccer is inherently put in a, a bad spot when MLS decides to do this because U.S. soccer has power over the U.S. Open Cup. They have power over the general structure of the sport in the United States. 
they need MLS. Like they need MLS as their their you know, sort of top supporter and biggest asset in a sense uh, in, in terms of the domestic calendar, certainly. Like th- there's a fine line to sort of walk here. And I think U.S. soccer walked it pretty well. Like they, they pretty much said, mm, no, I, I don't think so. Try again. Like we, we're going to stick up for our asset. We're going to stick up for our competition likely without like just fully spitting in MLS's face and saying, no, we're going to revoke your, your D1 sanctioning. Like, I, I don't know if that was ever brought up behind the scenes. I don't know how much dialogue there's actually been, but I think U.S. soccer handled themselves pretty darn well here in this entire situation when there was a question about like, what are they going to do, period, right? Are they, are they going to say, okay, like that's, that's fine for 2024 and we'll revisit in 2025 or maybe not at all. Or were they going to say, like, no, we're going to put our backs up and say you can't you can't come in and do this? And it certainly seems like even though they have not expressly demanded that MLS participate in this competition, they've hit a, a pretty solid ambassador-esque nuanced response to Major League Soccer that then MLS responded to on Wednesday with just like kind of a nothing burger of a statement where it was like, uh, you know, we, we want to value youth development. Like, that's what we think is important. And they didn't really actually say anything that was interesting. So we still, we don't really know where this story is going to end, right? And as we're getting towards the, the end here of this episode, I think it's important to say that MLS's actions create a very interesting story, as does U.S. Soccer's response. That makes me think from a, a couple of different things that I've heard and read from reporting like Jeff's. It makes me think we are more likely than not to see MLS teams play in the 2024 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. I don't know that for sure. I don't think anybody at this point, at the time I'm speaking these words, knows that for sure. But it seems possible for 2024. What happens beyond 2024, I I think is still going to be up in the air. Jeff, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, it does seem like maybe a compromise is reached somewhere in terms of MLS first teams can come in, but you can perhaps bring in some younger or less developed players. Yeah, I I think that I think that it's if, if I were a betting man, we don't. I I know that we have a betting partner at the Athletic. I have no idea who it is. That's how little of a betting man I am. I wrote a betting column Bam. for a year, and I have no or idea. Bleacher report. <laughs> it's Bleacher Report. <laughs> Inevitably. Yes. Um, yeah, I. Uh, if, if you read between the lines, your MLS Next Pro teams cannot play in the U.S. Open Cup. Well, then who has to play, right? So it, it is, you know, to Ryan's point, what are the concessions that are going to be made? And, and one of the original ones that had been looked at, allegedly during the planning before they decided to try to make, to, to put out Friday's statement saying that they're going to switch teams entirely, was to expand the roster to 60 players. Because then at that point, you can fit your entire next pro roster and you can fit your entire MLS roster in 30 aside and you have 60 and you can just kind of pick and choose based on the round and the matchup and say like, okay, cool. We don't need to bring these five first team players and we'll play some with that. And it doesn't affect our domestic our like our league calculus of, you know, loan ups because there's a limit on how many times you can break call up a next pro player and send them to your first team for a game. The hard part is there isn't a fixed registration rule for the U.S. Open Cup that specifically says you can only register 25 players for this competition like you will see in other leagues. What it is, is a player has to be registered for your team in its league and then you can play it. So what you would what MLS was proposing essentially is let's change our own league's roster rules to grow the league roster to grow the roster to 60 players for the Open Cup. But then we'll pretend they can't also play in the league. Like it just was kind of a mismatch. So I think these are the kinds of compromises that are going to have to be worked out is, is MLS going to change how often you can loan players up specifically for the open cup? Is there going to be a domestic cup clause essentially, or an internet? And maybe you'll say it's a continental cup clause as well, where like, if you want to call these same group of players in for the CONCACAF champions cup, all the better for you. Uh, these are the sorts of decisions I think that now we're getting into over the next few weeks as they continue to iron out what the final version of MLS's participation in the 2024 Lamar Hunt Hunt, Open Cup will be. Um, It's going to be much more about the specifics of how they can get around their publicly stated concerns about schedule congestion, which, again, crazy how that happened. have no idea how it got there in the first place. Um, These are the sorts of things that they're going to have to be looking at now. Yeah. 
Graham, it is a it is an interesting stress test, isn't it? Not just for US soccer, but maybe for cup competitions in general. We've seen that kind of stress test happen before in other nations. We're seeing you know discussions about the third competition, the league club in England, for example, and its role, uh, even the FA Cup and its uh, diminishing role as well. It is important that the US Open Cup gets through this stress test, is it not? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the landscape of world football is, is, is shifting and everyone is jostling for position, and that includes what is happening in American soccer. I mean, it is it is quite appropriate that this week we've got the Super League coming back, the Club World Cup is happening as well in Saudi Arabia, that's going to get expanded in 2025. Um, as Jeff kind of mentioned, it, it feels like every league and body in, in football at the moment has an idea of, well, we'd like to do this tournament from 2025, or we'd like to do something different with this competition. So it really does feel like things are shifting for the, the first time, really, or at least the, the most in the most extreme way of my adult lifetime and the time that I've been a, a, a soccer fan. Um, I think it's also interesting that MLS as a whole feels like it's in this sort of pivotal place in its modern history, at least post-Messi, where everyone over the last few months has been saying okay this is the time for mls to do something drastic to to, to grow as a league <laughs> then does something pretty drastic and everyone goes no not not that thing that that's the wrong thing to do not change your <laughs> roster rules or you know introduce a fourth dp or something like that so mls is is as a league kind of figuring out the way forward as well and of course it's it's got this historically awkward position where it has to span traditional soccer norms and the american soccer landscape so Yes, you have salary caps, but you also have youth academies, which used to be, of course, part of kind of the college landscape, but now they're part of the MLS landscape. And you have roster rules and um, parity in the league, but you know player trades aren't really a thing, and they try and have some form of transfer market like they do in Europe. So that has always been quite difficult for MLS to to, to straddle those two things. The ironic thing, of course, is that MLS wants to ditch the US Open Cup just as other American sports, see the NBA, are discovering the joy of cup formats. I saw the Lakers unveiling their uh, their banner for winning the uh, absolute the, the the catchily named what was it in season tournament in season that they employed tournament. the, yeah, the, they employ the, the same tournament. firm that came up with MLS's back. Totally. Yeah. the same can, company that can came we up talk with those about two names. The marketing firm that came up with in season tournament as the name for the in season <laughs> tournament. How much did they get paid? That's a job That's well done, fellas. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, just call it NBA Cup. Like I don't understand yeah. why that's not the name of it. But it, the point I'm getting to is that MLS is pulling back on cup competitions, or at least this one, um, at a time when other sports is maybe discovering that how how you know how fun that's that's the main thing with these cup competitions is that they're, they're fun right yeah. knockout yeah. single knockout games are fun um, so there's a whole load of different factors that make this a really interesting discussion. Well, and I think that's that's like kind of leads into my final thought on this whole thing as it, it sort of seems like maybe the 2024 edition of this tournament has been salvaged or at least you know put back to what we knew it before. Like my my last thought, and I saw Charlie Bohm tweet about this. I'm sort of wondering if if this could be a rally opportunity for the U.S. Open Cup. Maybe this is a, a you know rose colored glasses kind of situation. I don't know why you'd want that. Really, I like seeing somewhat normally, but that's fine. Rose is cool, I guess. <laughs> like maybe this can be a moment where everybody realizes, can we do something with this asset? And, and U.S. Soccer, who have I think done a lot of things well recently, the Emma Hayes hire is a, a massive win for them. Certainly from a PR standpoint, it seems like. It will be a win from a soccer standpoint. Like things are things are getting done with U.S. Soccer. Jeff is right; it takes a long time. Uh, and U.S. Soccer is a nonprofit. There are limits to what this organization can do. But like, can this be a moment where there's a new and better broadcast situation, where there's like more tangible reason to care about the U.S. Open Cup from a team perspective? Right? For fans, the narratives are there, and I I am a fan of March Madness. It gets me every year. I'm a fan of the U.S. Open Cup. Graham, I like the format that you just talked about. It's a fun part of the sport. It's a fun part of of just getting to watch soccer. Like, can there be more prize money for teams beyond $300,000 for the winner, $100,000 for the runner-up, and $25K for the furthest advancing team from every lower division? Like, that's, even for some of the lower division teams, that's like pennies, right? That's That's like maybe one really mediocre USL player contract for that 25K, right? So... Like, can can this become something more? I, I truly believe in a sports landscape where March Madness, in an American sports landscape, I should clarify, where March Madness is the only, like, oh, sort of open kind of big-time tournament where there's teams coming from all, from all over that's over a sustained period of time, like, where that's the only thing, 
sometime down the road, 25 years from now, like we're talking future, future here, maybe longer. Like, could the U.S. Open Cup be something unique in American sports? Not just soccer, because it's not unique in soccer, but like, could this be a, a weapon to go out there and capture sports fans like, and get them involved? I don't know. I think the answer to that is more likely no than yes anytime soon. But maybe an MLS, to, to zoom back in on them, they don't have very many of those assets. Like, they don't have very many of those things that you think, okay, this can appeal to a broader sports fan because the narrative is so good. We talk about salary and spending and all this stuff in Major League Soccer. Yes, it's missing some of those things, and I think those things are tied to growth, but it's not the only thing. Like, you go out there and spend a bunch of money that doesn't propel you to relevance on its own. Like, what money buys you is stories. And if MLS isn't going to spend a bunch of money on players to create stories, like, go out there and find other creative ways to do it. Like, don't just toss the things aside that aren't paying dividends immediately why not spend a little bit of time and effort collaborating with U.S. soccer or working with them or whatever it is to make this thing infinitely better than it has ever been? Because that progress is imminently possible. And I am I'm more optimistic today than I was yesterday and maybe more yesterday than I was on, on Friday that maybe this could turn into something good down the road. Who knows? Somebody clip that up and uh, have it submitted to USSF as uh, Joe's submission to become president. That was good. Thank you very Thank much. You. <laughs> we appreciate that. All right. Uh, that's just about time for us to wrap up this conversation. If you head to patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, we can continue it there in the Discord. You can't spell Discord without disco. That's a fact. That Let's dance, is. baby. Let's get over there. Uh, but for now, uh, Graham Ruthven, uh, you've made analogies about microwaves and candy so far. Go get some food. You're clearly hungry. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ryan Bailey, and thanks to to Jeff for for coming on. That was that was fantastic, fantastic insight on uh, on this story, which you're obviously much closer to than certainly I am. So thank you very much for that. Yep. Yeah, Second, Jeff Ruta, thank you very much indeed. Uh, can you let listener know where they can find you if they haven't found you already? Yeah, it's just everything I do is at the Athletic now. I just signed a new contract, so I'll be there for a bit. And in true Athletic fashion, my next piece is an analysis of Ross Barkley. Yes. I'm not kidding. So, Let's go. <laughs> co-wrote that with Kevo O'Neill. So uh, give that a look. But I will just say, just kind of in quick closing um, with the U.S. Open Cup thing, if you're going to talk about how to actually make this change and how to use this, it's not just waiting until the third or fourth round when your local MLS team participates in the tournament. It's finding what the closest amateur team is and just taking a drive out and see what all the fuss is about about League One or about the, you know, the, the first rounds of the Open Cup. That is where you actually start to see that change in a tangible way um, for this tournament. So that's pretty much the easiest way to funnel it. And then just super lastly, a little sticky note that I had on my laptop. It's an interesting moment for the relationship between U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer, um, where you have you go from a league that was founded in order for the Federation to host a World Cup in 1994 to a business partner with Soccer United Marketing for the for, for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden now we're in this brave new era where it's less dependent on each other than ever. We'll see where it goes. It's fun. <laughs> it's it's all just uh, courtroom drama, isn't it? So it's a it's a beautiful ride. Dewey Cox said that. Jeff, there you go. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you very much indeed for your contributions. I'm just wondering if Graham had to leave that apartment because his landlord called Edinburgh Scotland's first city and in, in mm. sort of like anti Glasgow. I don't know what that was. That's what I'm assuming. Mm. And Graham went ballistic. Um, I've just been pondering that until I get the explanation from Graham. That's what I'm going to assume. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. Well, he wasn't he wasn't such a fan of the wall of TVs that you added to with my Christmas gift this year, Joe. Stay tuned tomorrow uh, so for got, that. I, yeah, yeah. I got, we haven't recorded that I yet. That goes All right, to, okay. That's a yeah. tomorrow thing. <laughs> Back to the future. That's right. <laughs> Wonderful stuff, Graham. Uh, by the way, listen, if you'd like to find out why Graham had to jet out of an apartment on Friday in a hurry one day, uh, tune in to uh, our Patreon. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll prod him on that. But for now, listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. It's been a pleasure. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Slash it!